the Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Wuthering Heights turned very, very familiar. Oh, this is what we're looking at this week, folks. Kate Bush's debut. I think she was about six when she released this, wasn't it? With the kick inside. Yeah, written when she was a fetus. Yeah. Recorded when she was three. Or not quite, but almost. Lots of these songs were written when she was 13 or something. Yeah, just out of school when she did the album. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a thing, really, isn't it? Well yeah, done. I can't hear Wuthering Heights without seeing that video of her getting around in tights on the moor. Oh, right, yeah. When it used to be on the telly when I was a nipper. I always wondered how do heights weather. And if you <laughs> if you see one weathering, how would you know it was weathering? Yeah, and does anything weather yeah. other than a height? Other than a height, I don't know. But based on the Charlotte Bronte story, yeah. of and quite something to come crashing into the pop chart, you'd have to say. I reckon. I absolutely adored it when it came out. Yeah. Remains very strange to this day, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eccentric in a good way. The which old... I can't say for the whole album. No. I mean, it's interesting to listen back to it. I hadn't heard it for years. And I remain somewhere between admiring of some of the songs, but irritated by the vocal delivery. Me too. You get about two-thirds of the way through the album and you go... Actually, you're annoying me now. Oh, I don't even get that far, oh. actually. And I like some later things. Apparently, it's a thing, and it may or may not have something to do with our masculine gender, because I read someone who'd written an entire weighty scholastic tome about Kate Bush, saying that often men talk about how irritating her earlier albums are, mm. and then they all start to idolise and fawn over her by the time she made Hounds of Love, which was her fifth record where she's singing in a in a deeper, more approachable sort of register. Mm. And this is when lots of people, male reviewers in particular, decided she was a genius. I, I have to say, I did like Hounds of Love, though. Yeah. I thought Hounds of Love was quite a spectacular thing. When yeah, I, well, she I, doesn't... She sings particularly high on this record and not on others. That's just a fact. I don't yes. care if you like it or not. Um, no. it's, it's just a thing. If you don't and like it, you don't like it. Just, some of the songs that stand out on here for me are ones where she does not sing so high. Yeah. Songs that are liable to be alarming neighbourhood dogs are not the ones that I go <laughs> for quite so much. Quite so, quite so much. It definitely made her unique, didn't it? You know, having such a high vocal range and choosing to max out at the high end of it. Like, to me, lots of those vocal sounds still sound quite screechy and abrasive in a way that doesn't necessarily add that much to the song. But you can imagine when they first came out, they would have just stuck out miles from anything anybody else was doing. Yeah, OK. Yeah. But uh, Wuthering Heights itself is one of those higher register things, and it, that's great. It's just that you, you, you layer a lot of that high stuff one over after the other, and, you know, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. 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 That song itself I like, though. It's melodically interesting and peculiar, and it's just got a lot of winning things about it. Oh, well, should we just rip into that one now, then? Why the hell not? Yeah, yeah. It was such a sort of phenomenon, wasn't it, when it came out? It displaced ABBA's Take a Chance on Me, the new UK's number one right. at the time, which it couldn't be further away from in the sound of it. No. But apparently some magazine called Amplifon a while ago did a thing on the most misheard lyrics of all time. Yeah. And they compiled them. And this song, Wuthering Heights, is on there with various people thinking that when she sings, it's me, I'm Kathy, etc. someone wrote that they thought it said, it's me, I'm a tree, I'm a wombat. 
oh so cold at the end of your winter. I'm a wombat. Come on. <laughs> Where did you get that from? Oh, Advance Australia, fair. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd believe it if it was Helen Reddy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And apparently she wrote the song before she had read the book. Kate Bush watched a TV adaptation of Emily Bronte's novel of the same name right. and was captivated by that, wrote the song, and then afterwards read the novel in order to make sure that she... Could it, say it, that she had. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. good one. A weathering means blowing, apparently. Oh, there you go. Pertaining yeah. to wind. And, and really, it's, you know, it, the whole thing is... The, the one interesting thing about this whole record, I guess, and you see it here as much as in the other songs, is that rather than it be full of confessional female singer-songwriter material that was happening in the this era, era of the 70s, mm-hmm. she takes on very strange, different narrative voices, and this whole thing was sparked off by a bit in the Emily Bronte book when um, Kathy's ghost is floating outside the bedroom window of her living partner, haunting him. He's just looking out through the window, and she's looking back in. Oh, nice and spooky. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Out on the
heights. I think it's a brilliant thing. Well written. It's clever. Clever as all hell. A, a touch of the Baroques, maybe. Maybe she's listened to a bit of Jethro Tull. It's even got a touch of prog rock about it, I reckon. Oh, definitely. It's full of um, prog players, this record. Half of the buddy Alan Parsons project all over it. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention, you know, she was under the wing of... Uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, who yeah. was uh, had had some sort of mutual friend that got him the demo tape she'd been making in the barn since she was a nipper, yeah. and he helped to get her signed. Um, how should we approach the rest of this album? I mean, because it's there, you should never go past the opening song yep. on any record, even if it's appalling. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying this is appalling, just because this is what the person has chosen to lift the curtain on their record, this particular song. And what Kate Bush has chosen to lift the curtain with is a bunch of whale song. Yeah. Which itself is also kind of brave and peculiar, isn't it? It is. The first song is called Moving, and it's a homage to her dance teacher, Lindsay Kemp, who was also the geezer who famously taught um, David Bowie dance classes for years. She spent a whole wadge of her um, EMI advance to make this record, enrolling for the hideously expensive dance classes of Lindsay Kemp. And this song is dedicated to him and the idea that movement sets you free in other other ways, you know. Oh, yeah. Movement sets you free. Turn it up. <laughs> I love dance. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I was involved with the dance stuff lots, but I'm not buying this bullshit that sets you free. It's hard work. Hard work, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, various people at New York at the time saying she became very obsessed with dance. In the early shows mm. that went alongside this record, there was no stopping her doing quite elaborate dance routines herself. Like she was oh, um, off you go, on, yeah. on stage. Great. And um, because she wanted to be flinging herself around while she sang, was forced to bend a coat hanger around and create one of the first ever headset mics so she could do her thing. Oh, you know, really? Which is just standard with everyone who dances ever right. and sings on stage. But the headset, they made one out of a, right. literally made one out of a coat hanger. Oh, so Madonna and Miley Cyrus did not invent that? No, Far it was all down to Kate Bush's roadie critters. Yeah. 
All right, we'll take a break. That was moving anyway, by the way. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. We're looking at the Kick Inside release 1978, Kate Bush's debut, when she was just 19. It's a hell of an achievement. Although, no, lots of people release debuts when they're about 19, don't they? And they tend to be quite good. I mean, just have a look at all the young kids, you know, they're yeah. in bands. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Various of these bits were written when she was 13, though, and she'd recorded 200-odd songs, demos in the family barn in Kent, and the tape of these got to David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. He went back into the studio with a couple of characters and recorded them in a way where they were more saleable to record companies. Mm. And then as soon as they got heard by EMI, EMI signed her. Afterwards, in lots of interviews, she said that she suspects they signed her just so that no one else would. They realised she was not ready, really, to put out an album for a while and it was going to take some development in time. They paid her a something great advance and then she spent years continuing to go to school and writing the occasional song before anything actually got recorded. But it was more to keep others away from signing it. She did this tune, Strange Phenomena. It's about the supernatural, isn't it? But You're he, the one that's supposed to be listening to the words. Oh, there's a bunch of guff in there about phases of the moon and this and that. Oh, okay. Who knows? Should we play a bit of that? Yeah, why not? Spooky. Lots of lush arrangements, but you know, I really love it when the simpler it is, man, it really seems to suit her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the exception of Wuthering, which is kitchen sink, great, love it. <laughs> yeah, because it begins with the sort of unaccompanied piano and the voice and so on, you think of it as being sparser than it is until you play it loud and hear that guff is chucked in there. There's I was, a few songs I was in here where there's just her and the piano. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying is, uh, you know, other tunes actually, and yeah. uh, like The Man with the Child in His Eyes, which is awesome. In fact, let's play that because that, to me this is the best thing on here. Me too. I, I think. She sings in a slightly lower register and her voice is lovely. This is one of the songs she did write when she was 13. Good and God. she recorded it when she was 16. And um, EMI parked it up for another two, three years until this record came out. David Gilmore was the executive producer, so who's in the studio when they recorded it. Yeah, a song that's pitched into a much kindlier part of her um, range, to my ears. Mm. Oh, I just think it's re classy writing. It's, yeah. it's minimalist. Yeah. I would say this doesn't happen often, but it'd be a tune Paul McCartney would have given his right arm to have had in 1969. Yeah, yeah. It's that good. Yeah, and it's an interesting perspective for a song too. It's a woman singing about her affection for her beloved, who's this guy whose innocence hasn't been tarnished as he's become older. He still retained lots of that naivety and softness. I hear him before I go to sleep and focus on the day. 
It's just bloody pretty. Yeah. Interesting thing about this album, it goes in lots of directions, doesn't it? There's, it does. You have a thing like Kite. And when I heard this, just listening to it this week, it came on, I thought, oh, bloody hell, it's a YouTube ad. Oh, no, it is actually part of the album. Oh, yeah, it just it starts is. off so well. Bits of cod reggae. It's a cod reggae thing, of which there are a couple in here. And there's a few truly tragic rhymes near the beginning where she's rhyming Bellio with being rooted in her wellios. I don't mean she's having sex in her wellios either, by the way. This is just her, her feet are in her wellios, rooted to the ground. But it is a strange, strange bit of business, isn't it?
Okay, that's Kite from the debut album from Kate Bush. That included the mega hit and the most memorable thing she's ever done. Anyway, Wuthering Heights. We'll take a break and come back very shortly. If. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. Kate Bush's debut in 1978, 40 years ago, The Kick Inside. Why is it called The Kick Inside? Oh, there's a tune on here called The Kick Inside. Yeah, that's an interesting tune, actually. We'll get to that. Yeah. It's a pregnancy reference, but also from an old murder ballad. Oh. We could play it now if you want. Yeah, it's, um, well, why it's, not? This is another beautifully minimal thing. She's, at, I still think, at her best, sit yeah. at the piano, and it's just, oh, there's something really good about that. The Kick Inside's about a brother and sister who have an incestuous relationship, and then the sister becomes pregnant and commit suicide so that the brother won't be implicated. So what I think is partially interesting about it is it's this ancient English murder ballad, the original of it, which was in an anthology of late 19th century English and Scottish folk songs collected by Francis Child, who was a Harvard English professor wow. who collected the lyrics to all these various things. In the original song, the brother impregnates the sister and then kills her. In the original murder ballad, it's called The Ballad of Lucy Wan, spelt W-A-N, the original. And then in Kate Bush's take on the story, is quite radical in a way, because she pictures herself as the sister in this situation that's sort of actively choosing her own death instead of being the, some victim to the brother, and as an act of sort of kindness. So she just sort of reframes, um, reframes the whole thing. I've pulled down my legs and the tube. Giving it all in a moment or two. I'm giving it all in a moment. 
that's the final track on the album. We're just dipping in wherever we feel like it. James and the Golden Gun, this could have been a single, couldn't it? It's got a groovy chorus, it's strong, it's different. Yeah, this was the song that EMI originally wanted to be the lead single. Ah. There was much wrangling over it, apparently, because I think they thought it would be, because it's got a bunch of guitar galloping through it and so on, it would be more approachable and fit better with what else was in the charts at the mm. time. They were probably but, um, afraid that Wuthering was just too weird. I dare say, eh? And the sort of romping electric guitars were less weird. She just sounds like more of some sort of rock chick of the day or yeah, something on yeah. the song. It's probably the most traditionally rocky thing on here, but she was adamantly opposed to it being the single, and the single became Wuthering Heights. Yeah, well, good, good, for good call.
James and the Cold Gun. Groovy chorus. She's good yeah. at a chorus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I want to play a little bit of Feel It because, God, it reminds me of the stuff that I love of yeah. Laura Nero. Yep, another song where it's just her and the piano, eh? And a song about sex from a female perspective. And last. to the Laura Nero's and why we're we talking about Laura Nero interesting fun fact you know her real name no Laura Negro oh really yeah should have stuck with it definitely yeah. I would have thought so okay uh, we'll take a break and come back with whatever we have left from the kick inside Kate Bush the weekend variety wireless with Dock Edge Festival get a free program at dockedge.nz the kick inside. Stunning debut from Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights, the big tune of it, of course. You've got to steal yourself for some of the songs where the high register gets a hammering, as I said, but mm. there's enjoyable bits all the way through it. It's rich with eccentricity and surprises, which is admirable. It was the first record entirely written by a female performer that topped the charts in the UK, ever. Really? Yeah. Deeply significant in that regard, too. Yeah. Every song was written by her. And... 
you could tell she was listening to some odd bits and bobs, like theatrical and literary references scattered through loads of the tunes. And one of the things where these things collide in a weird bit of pop music is them heavy people. Yeah. That's another bit of cod reggae off kilter, which lots of people around the time, Elvis Costello, various people were diving in and using those big syncopated offbeat Jamaican bass lines and so on. Them heavy people might make you think of some sort of gangsters rolling through town, but she's talking about folk that are intellectual heavyweights that changed her life, like Gurdjieff, you know, like various mystics and people she was reading. Yeah, there's something just strange and kind of great about it. Yeah. And again, she's good at a strong chorus. No. Yes, she is. So you mean yes? <laughs> okay, uh, we'll just go out with one more, I think. Maybe Room for the Life. This is, uh, I, I think, pretty strong as well. Yep, yeah, yeah. And also, again, adventurous in the arrangements. Hey? You've got uh, a song ultimately about pregnancy and the different, you know, your 
fundamentally different possibilities of your life if you're a woman to a man, as lots of the other songs are. But then you get sort of um, almost towards the end, and there's suddenly this Afro-Caribbean break in the final fade where this becomes like a round, yep, almost. Yep, yep, And that's just a marvellous part of the song, I reckon. Yeah. I'd forgotten that even existed. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It doesn't become really central to it. It just almost gets... It's just your outro. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Grant. And, oh, one thing I've just noticed here, or I've been reminded. Yeah. We talk about heavyweights on the record. David Gilmore involved um, Alan Watts' Bloody Parson Project and Bruce Lynch. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Bruce Lynch, New Zealand bassist, and Suzanne Lynch's partner at the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and Martin Winch's bro. Yeah. You know, who t- they appear together on numerous 1860 band. Also, oh, God, so many things. So he was cool. all over Cat Stevens for a couple of albums, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Like a rash. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he plays bass on the saxophone song, which we missed, missed out. But anyway, who cares? It's That's one of the weaker bits. Why would you do a song about saxophones? The thing that's interesting about that song, I guess, is that you've got... You know, there's so many songs where you've got the male gaze is central to the song. Some guy is watching some woman and being consumed with desire. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around. Kate Bush is sat in some jazz club somewhere and a guy's playing the saxophone in such a way that she thinks, God, I want to get with that dude. Nice. So it's interesting, but you have to have high tolerance for the sort of um, slightly wine barish sax break. Yeah. That goes on in the no, we're not. We're not doing You've it. got low tolerance for that kind of carry-on, haven't you? We're not doing it. Saxophone-free 2050. Not happening. Read-free zone. <laughs> yeah, All right. fair enough. Uh, room for the life. We'll go out with that. Thank you very much. No worries. Grant Smithies.